Hey there, I'm Nikki Milne, high school dropout and ex-hairdresser and salon owner turned PR and marketing expert and founder of the Peth Collective PR Agency. The Passion to Profit podcast is a conversational business podcast with a focus on marketing and PR to help business owners scale successfully, acquire more customers, increase your profits and become that desired go-to brand in your industry. So open your notepad on your phone, get out your pens and paper. You don't want to miss any of the following tips, tricks, and strategies that you're about to experience on the Passion to Profit podcast. Let's get started. The Salon. So there I was, a 20-year, three-year-old, relatively new to the city, and I had my first business in partnership with my parents. So my parents stayed for a few days and then my mom and dad drove back to Albany and it was very much left up to me, the day-to-day running of the business. And then my mom would assist with book work, mentoring, and obviously advice. I was very fresh to it all. And I walked in quite blindly the first week into the salon and soon discovered the challenges I would face. Within the first few days, the staff started coming to me. Two, it turned out, actually had full-time jobs waiting for them on a mine site. The others were rent-a-chair and they were moving on. So what I bought was a busy business, but what actually it turned out to be was a fledging business, which is verging on being bankrupt with no staff. It was a shock. And I really had no choice but to fight. There will, of course, there was a choice. I could bail out and say, this isn't for me and try and sell it or negotiate back on the deal. Or I could light a fire and be determined to make it work. And those of you that know me well know that is very much my nature. So I started to try and obtain new clients. And I remember being in the salon in one of the first weeks and one of the neighbors who owned a salon come across and said, you know, what are you doing? You're so young. And do you know there's 42 other salons in the suburb, very established salons, and your salon doesn't have a great reputation. And I remember being quite shocked by that. 42 other salons, oh my gosh, now that is competition on your doorstep. So I didn't like the name of the business and I was a huge fan of the Kasubi jeans back in the day. So I decided to rename the salon Subi. Spelt Subi as in Subiaco, but it was actually after the jeans rather than the suburb. But I also was smart enough, I don't know how I worked it out at the time, to realize that if I called it Subi hairdressing, it would be at the top of every Google search for that suburb. Nothing would be able to beat it unless it was a paid Google ad. So that was one of my moments of genius. I don't know where it come from. And I certainly didn't know that at the time, but in the years later that followed, it turned out to be an incredible move having the name Subi hairdressing. So I rebranded and I sketched the logo up on a piece of paper. I took it to the sign maker and had it put on a signage, a light box at the front and obviously the door. And you know what? To this day, 15 years later, it's still the sign that sits on the light box and it's still the sign that sits on the door. It is that original hand-scripted logo that I drew all those years ago. So we renamed the business. And at the time, again, I was young, I was 23. And I thought, how am I going to get people into this business? I have no money. So I actually started by creating a Facebook page as a person, because back then there wasn't pages for business on Facebook. So I created a public profile of a person called Subi Hairdressing, first name Subi, last name Hairdressing. 
and I started to build a following. I would share the salon, what I was doing. I'd also post before and after pictures of the client because you got to remember back then, I don't think Instagram had even launched at that stage. It was all relatively new, but I love social media and being social. So I started to put promotions up there and just show people what I was about. And it actually started to gather a following. Now that did not mean it was smooth sailing. I was doing $20 haircuts and taking anyone that would come in my door. And, you know, in those first year, there were certainly days that would go past without a single client walking in my door. And in the first year, we had two offers to buy it from us. Their location was brilliant of the salon, but it wasn't doing well. And I remember my parents having to put twenty dollars or $30,000 into keeping it afloat. And I had a loan on it. They obviously had half ownership in it. And we came so close to selling it so many times in that first 12 months. But something made me hold on to it. And I was determined to make it work. So I rented out the outstairs to beauty and I started establishing myself as a serious hairdresser. And I was very young and very modern and very ambitious. And so over the following years, the business continued to grow. And I acquired Aveda, the brand that I'd always worked with. And that was a bit of a game changer for me. It took a long time to acquire it. And Aveda, I always see as like the Gucci of hairdressing. It's a natural product, and with it came over 2,000 retail products. I kid you not, though I don't talk about this a lot, my salon had over 2,000 lines of retail, and that's a lot. So I do know a lot about selling and a lot about selling products. And so the business continued to grow, and there was many hiccups along the way, mainly with staff. And if you've got staff, you know exactly what I'm about to say. There's always challenges with staffs, and in particular, if mainly your staff are teenagers. There was many teenage pregnancies, many drugs issues that I had to deal with, and there was, you know, many instances where things that I could tell you that you wouldn't even believe happening. One time in particular, one of my gorgeous young girls who was maybe a few years younger than me, her boyfriend and her were at a pub and he got jealous of her talking to another guy. So he got their house key and he swallowed it. Now, I didn't believe it at first either, but when she texted me at 1130 at night and saying, I'm at hospital, my boyfriend swallowed a house key and I need to stay with him till he passes it. I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. But it was truth. She showed me the x-ray, which clearly there was a key in his intestines, moving through his body. So that was just one thing of the many things that happened. There was a gorgeous apprentice that I adored. She was wild, but she was beautiful and the clients loved her and she was just a bright spark. And I very much mentored her and took her under my wing, but she'd quit all the time. And I remember one day, you know, I was in the salon. By this stage, I had quite a lot of staff. I think I was up to five or six staff. It was maybe four or five years into the business. It was going quite well. And, you know, I looked over and her client was sitting there with half a head of foils. And I was like, hmm, where did she go? Well, she must be at the back doing something. And I went out there and I couldn't find her. And I said to someone, where's Sarah? And they're like, check your computer. And when I looked on the computer, there was a post-it note saying, I quit. She decided in that moment that she didn't want to be there. And she literally stuck a post-it note on my computer and walked out the door. It took me about four weeks to get her back and I gave her space and time. And it wasn't about me. It was about something going on in her personal life and she needed you know, a break. So 
I got very good at managing staff in the sense that you have to roll with days on days of unpredictiveness and, you know, the boyfriends and the girlfriends and the, you know, the stories those walls could tell. Quite often clients would say to me, I wish you would have a TV show. This is so entertaining. I swear most of them come for the entertainment of my team rather than their hair. It was a lively happening salon and we were certainly getting no one in Subiaco for obviously our beautiful hair work, but also for the exciting stories that my staff were always able to tell. There was a period I went through where one of my team members got a boob job and she got her doctor to sign off on that it was medical, which it certainly was not in my opinion. She was quite young and there was no need medically to have a boob job, but that's triggered a rush for boob jobs in my salon. And all of a sudden within maybe four months, three of my staff had had boob jobs and they loved showing them off to the clients. And, you know, that's the type of girls they were. So there was never a dull moment. And, you know, it was a constant roller coaster for me. There was arrests, um, me getting called to get them out of jail. There was just many, many hiccups and trials and tribulations and incredible stories that you probably wouldn't believe that I could tell over the years of owning that salon. The salon did exceptionally well. My mum was a very good and astute bookkeeper. And as you can probably tell, if you've watched part one of this story, she's very good with books and potentially could have been an accountant or something along those lines, given the opportunity back in the day. And I was very good with people. I loved people. I still love people and I love working with them. And I think that was a really successful formula. But what happened, I didn't love hairdressing. I loved business and I loved the marketing and I loved the promotion and getting people in the door and getting leads and Google reviews and people telling me that they had the most wonderful experience. That is what made me thrive. And back in the day when I left high school, I had contemplated briefly doing marketing, but at the time, everyone was doing marketing, it felt. And they were all going to uni, moving to the big smoke, which is not what I wanted to do at that stage. And they were coming out with degrees in marketing, but with no jobs. So I think I did, I took the long way and I owned a business prior to doing what I did today. And ultimately, that's what set me apart. But back to the salon, I was thriving off the business aspect. And I was trying to get off the floor. So I was trying to remove myself from being on the floor, cutting hair. And that was an incredibly challenging thing to do. People wanted me. It was very important that they were getting their hair cut by me or could see me in the salon. And, you know, my attention was wandering. And so one of the strategies I started to use was increasing my prices. So I started increasing my prices to try and drop my clientele in particular haircutting. And I got to the stage over a couple of years that I was around over 200, I think it was $220 a haircut. Now that is a lot of money and was probably one of the most expensive cuts in Perth at that time. And again, I'm going back 15 years ago and I could not shake my clientele. People were happy and obliging to pay that fee. And it was dawning on me very quickly that the only way to get off that floor was to sell it. And in the last probably 18 months of having the business, I had a situation where I was actually sued. One of my staff members had been stealing from me and she got caught red-handed and I lost my cool and I fired her. Now you might say rightly so, but in the law or employment law, you're not allowed to do that. There is warnings and mediation and a wealth of 
procedures that you were meant to oblige by before you fire someone. So she turned around and she sued me, which to be honest, she was most likely always going to be suing me. She'd sued multiple time people in her employment for me for various things. And she was a brilliant staff member and a brilliant hairdresser and staff member in the part that the clients loved her. She earned a lot of money and she was paid a lot of money. But what she wasn't good about was, you know, doing dodgy things and she was quite sneaky and she did get caught out. So we went to court and had mediation and it was a horrible, harrowing experience. I just had my first child. I'd recently, you know, prior to that, just been married and, you know, it was heartbreaking and it was draining and it it was just just a horrible time in my life. And, you know, I remember being on my floor crying and just so stressed at how when someone had done me so wrong, I could be the one going through court. It just did not seem fair to me. So we ended up settling out of court and going our separate ways. And I got to the point where, you know, I'd lost the passion. I didn't want to be in the salon anymore. I had this beautiful new baby that I was loving playing with and he was gorgeous. And I felt it was time to move on. And my parents had been pushing for a while. You know, they were getting near retirement. Though it was a lucrative money earner, it was making a lot of money, it it was a huge burden on all of us. Every second day there was something to do with the staff or, you know, the clients were getting more demanding because our fees were going up. And I had lost my passion. I didn't want to be on that floor anymore. And all I wanted to do was market it and be in charge of it and do all the staff. But it was very clear that that was never going to be something I could achieve. And hats on to all those hairdressers out there that are in operation role doing marketing and all that and have managed to actually get off the floor because I never worked out how to do this. So, you know, in its heyday at its busiest peak, I think we were up to 13 staff. It was two stories. We'd have 40 given clients in the salon at any time. It was a very large salon. And it quickly became one of the most popular in Subiaco, far outweighing the 40 two other salons that were my competition. So there was many, many lessons learned along the way. And then one morning I just woke up and said to my husband, that's it. It needs to be sold. So we went and acquired a business broker who confidentially put it out to the investors and an investor come along who had recently been divorced, wasn't from Perth, not a hairdresser, and she purchased it. She, I think, wanted to prove to her uh, ex-husband that she could you know, be successful with a business. I'm not really sure, but, you know, if you know hairdressers or you've ever been one, buying a hairdressing salon when you're not a hairdressing hairdresser is a very crazy move and not one I'd recommend for pretty much anyone. And even now after all the industries I consult for, there is nothing I've ever come across as hard as a hairdressing salon to manage, organize, and, and organize the team. The team is what ultimately leads to so many challenges and so many businesses. But in a hairdressing salon, you're actually managing people that have left school at 14 or 15. Generally, the females are impressionable. They're usually quite strong-willed and outgoing. And if you've ever seen the crazy metrics and you watch it, hairdressers are right up there, which maybe explains a lot about me. I can say that being a hairdresser. So the salon was sold and it was all very confidential. And then the week before Christmas, We walked into the salon. My mum had flown up from Melbourne for it and we sat down with our team members and we made the announcement 
that unbeknownst to them, the salon had been on the market and it was now sold. And as of Monday, they would have a new owner and they were devastated. They were crying, going, we'll be good. We promise not to put you through any more hell. We're so sorry, but it was a done deal. And I did adore those girls like sisters, but I had to do what was right for me, my family, my young family and my new child. And I offered to work the week of Christmas and handover, but the new owner wanted to take it over herself. Good on her for being so determined. But again, the Christmas week in a hairdressing salon is a bloody nightmare. There is so many clients trying to get in. Everyone's on a time limit. Everyone has high expectations. Everyone is incredibly stressed. Sure, you may make a fortune on Christmas week, but it definitely comes at a price and your team are working tenfold harder than ever before and they are fatigued. And I was like, you really want to take this over this week without my guidance? And she did. So that Saturday, I walked out of that salon and that was my last time in that salon. And unfortunately, within three or four months, the salon went under and got to the point that, you know, the staff had all left and that it wasn't viable anymore. And it got offered back to me at an incredibly cheap price, like an unbelievable price. And I was faced with the decision, do I buy it back or do I let sleeping dogs lie, as they say? And I declined the sale. I'd been in once during that time and there was broken mirrors and there was, you know, things that needed fixing and the girls were telling me things that were going on there. And it just broke my heart. Everything that I'd worked for for eight years in that salon from having no clients to building it up to being an incredibly successful salon and one of the most expensive salons at that time to ever sell in Perth and maybe still to being a business that in three to four short months had disintegrated to almost nothing with no staff and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't buy it and I couldn't buy back into it. So I declined the sale. So I was staying at home with my young child. I was bored. I wasn't feeling my mind and I adored my son and we were having a great time, but I needed something more. And what happened, people that were ex-clients suddenly started ringing me and saying, I know you've left the salon, but would you be interested in helping us market our business? Or could you teach me about social media? Or could you help me do this with my and just take a quick look at my business and let me know your thoughts? And I felt needed and wanted. I was saying to someone the other day, I actually think that time in my life between that December of selling the business and then starting Perth Collective in May, six months later, I was actually depressed because in that salon, people needed me. The staff needed me. My clients needed me. I was valued and I was looked up to and you know, it was a happy, buzzing atmosphere. And then when I sold it, I lost all that. Part of me mourned that, the mourn for need. And if you've ever sold a business, you might relate to what I'm saying. And if you're ever contemplating selling a business, think of the things besides the profit that that business brings you, the prosperity, the credibility, the authority, the passion, the drive, the challenge. If those are things that appeal to you, you're probably going to always be a serial entrepreneur like I am. So I started doing mentoring. And it just festered from there. And I did a few clients and I just loved it. And I thought, I really feel this is where I need to be. And it was all female clients with female businesses that I was assisting. 
And I tried a few things. I thought I'd be a fashion stylist for a while. And I actually did get quite a following doing fashion and going and doing styling. And that lasted a whole of two or three months until I worked out as quite a hard work going and picking up clothes, trying them on, doing photo shoots and decided really that wasn't for me. I applied for jobs at Country Road and Witchery because I felt I needed an outlet. And the mentoring was fine, but it was obviously only having two or three clients. None of the positions at Country Road or Witchery took me, which is probably a blessing now because I would have spent more on clothes than I would have earned. I know I would have. So it was about the May when I was at home one day and I'd had a meeting. It was actually with Picnic and Hobbs, quite a big brand in Western Australia. And the owner was saying, what are you doing? You just, you know, we know you from having the business down the road and you were vibrant and, you know, you actually lit so many people up and you helped so many people. Why aren't you doing what you're meant to be doing in this world? And that conversation stuck with me. And I drove home in my car and I walked in the door and there was the Collective Hub magazine had arrived. I had subscribed to it. It was sitting there waiting to be opened out of my mail. And the word collective, I was like, you know what? There is no Instagram account that promotes women in business in Western Australia. What about if I start a platform on Instagram? I'm good at social media and I know I can grow this account and I can support all these women that are crying out to be heard, crying out to be shown their their business and what how they can help people and their skill and their creativity and their intelligence and give them an outlet and a platform to show them off to the rest of WA and maybe even Australia. And literally 30 minutes later, I jumped on Instagram and I registered the name The Perth Collective. I hope you loved today's episode. I am so passionate about sharing the stories of other business owners and passing on my knowledge and experience from the last 17 years of business ownership. If you enjoyed the Passion to Profit podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review or you shared it to your Insta stories. Don't forget to tag me at Nikki Milne underscore. In the show notes below, you'll find a link to my new step-by-step marketing audit for your business. Together, we're going to audit your current digital assets, identify your weaknesses, and you'll discover the solutions you need to accelerate growth in your business right now. And did I mention that I am letting you have this complimentary for a limited time only? It is valued at $297. So what are you waiting for? Go to nikimilne.com forward slash business audit or hit the link in the show notes below. I'll see you there.